Shalom Aleichem, we're reviewing the Sicha, Sicha number three. The Sicha goes by the rule of not the end is rooted in the beginning and the beginning and the end, which is often perhaps part of the reason for the customs that when a person finishes a book of Torah, you connect the end to the beginning. Rebbe would often make a seal on various tractates of the Talmud, of Shas, and uh, elaborate on the last section, the last Mishnah, the last statement in that tractate, and link it to the first. Uh, that's what a hadrin is. Hadrin means really to review. When you finish a book of the Torah, we say we're going to review and also find the connection between the beginning and the end, all based on that principle that the end is rooted in the beginning and vice versa. Says the Rebbe, we're finishing the book of Leviticus. It's a seal. And therefore, there has to be a connection between the beginning and the end of the book. Furthermore, within the last parsha itself, there needs to be a connection between the beginning and the end of that parsha. So we already have three things to connect. The beginning of Leviticus, Ayikra, the end of the whole book, Ayikra, and the beginning of the last portion of Bechukosai. Those three things should be linked. And then the Rebbe takes it further. And the Rebbe says, what about the Hasidish parsha? We know that the Rebbe wrote a monumental work called the Kutte Teira and Teira Oir, which they represent the Hasidic portion, so to speak, known in Yiddish as the Hasidic Parsha. And the Rebbe strongly encouraged that we should try to study it each week. It's quite an undertaking to try to do it on a regular basis. But, um, and this is like, this is uh, fundamental. Much of Hasidus is rooted in those books. And uh, in fact, Hasidim would say that Tanya is like the Bible of Hasidus and the Kutte Teira, Teira Oir, that is like the Talmud, the Shas of Hasidus. It's all in there. Says the Rebbe that we have to find a link to the beginning and end of that book, of the Hasidic Parsha, beginning of Leviticus Vayikra, the end of Vayikra, and the beginning of Bechuk within the Hasidic Parsha, within the book of the Kutatera. And the Rebbe takes it further and says, well, since there's also an addendum to that book, at the end of Bechuk there's an addendum of additional Mahmarim. Um, that end also has to match and be linked to the others, which is fascinating because that uh, and the addendum was added much later in the times of the Friedrich Rebbe when it was printed. But by the Rebbe, everything is a Shkocha Pratis and certainly a Torah book. And now the book has not only an end in the but it has an end in the addendum, and that has to match the theme. So totally, in total, the Rebbe is trying to find connections between seven different things. In the Chumash itself, the beginning and end of the book, and the beginning of the portion of Ayikra, of Bechu Kosai, so that's three. And then in Lakuta Teira, the beginning and end of the book, the beginning of Bechu Kosai, and the addendum. As you could see in my little chart, these are the seven things that we are trying to connect. So, whatever comes along, first to connect the three sections of the Torah itself. So the Rebbe says that the theme between the beginning and end of the entire book of Ayikra, we see right away they're very similar. Namely, that they both speak of the idea that there's certain Kedusha holiness that God brings to us and certain Kedusha that we respond with from our side. So let's start with the end of the book. The uh, last discussion of the book of Ayikra is about the carbon, the sacrifice of two sacrifices, Bechur, the firstborn, and Maiser, the tithing of the herd. And that's how the book ends. Incidentally, the book begins also with sacrifices. There's much sacrifices throughout the entire book of Ayikra. 
But because it ends with these two sacrifices specifically, there's something interesting. The Chari firstborn is something that Hashem makes holy. It's automatic. It's inborn. It happens to be a firstborn. It's a holy animal. Whereas the tenth, the tithing of the herd, this is something that the owner made holy. It's not automatic. You have to take all the sheep or cattle, whatever it is, put them into a pen and walk them out and then mark the tenth one. So you make it holy. And there's all kinds of laws in halacha. What if I marked by accident the ninth, ninth one and I called the tenth or the eighth one or the eleventh? So that the holiness only takes hold by virtue of my action of proclaiming it as such. Says the Rebbe, so the Chumash is ending with that two sides, so to speak, of the coin. Hashem makes certain things holy. These things are intrinsically holy. And then Hashem empowers us, the Jewish people, B'nai Yisrael, to in turn sanctify things from our side. Says the Rebbe, that's very similar to the theme with which the entire book begins. The book begins, the opening verse, second verse, Adam Kiyakribi Mikem Karben Hashem, a man who will bring forth a sacrifice to Hashem. You should bring it from the ox, from the sheep. Uh, shall you bring your offerings? So, on a simple level, it means if you want to bring an offering, here are the choices. You can bring an ox, you can bring a sheep. But in Hasidus, it's explained that this verse is speaking about God's relationship to us and our response to that relationship. It's hinted in the fact that the grammar is a little off, so to speak. Uh, first of all, it says, a man who will sacrifice from you, it should really say a man from amongst you who will sacrifice. Hinting to the fact that we're talking about the sacrifice from you, from the person. The Hebrew word sacrifice, carbon, really means etymologically, it means to bring close, and it really means to bring yourself close to Hashem. The other thing is that the first half of the verse is singular, the second half is plural. Adam mikem carbon Hashem, a man who will bring from you carbon sacrifice, closeness to God, a man, a single. And what's the second half of the verse? That from the ox and the sheep, takrivu es shall you, plural, bring your offerings, plural. How does it switch? From the Hasidic level, the first half of the verse is a reference to God, the supernal man. Adam shalakise, the supernal man, Adam alien. The second half of the verse is a reference to us, his children, the Jewish people. And what the verse is saying is that often Hashem inspires us from above, and our job is then to respond from below. So Adam, a man, the supernal man, when God, Yaakov Mikem, he'll try to bring from you, he'll try to elevate you close to him. That's why it's singular. The reaction should be that we should bring our animal close to Hashem, and that's why it's plural. A, it refers to all of us. B, Chassidus explains it refers to bringing not only the divine soul, but also the animal soul, and it's pluralistic. Bottom line is that that first verse, that first message in the beginning of the book about Yikra Kohen Chassidus, mirrors very closely the closing of the book, namely this top-down, bottom-up type of response. Hashem initiates and we respond. Hashem will try to inspire us. Adam Hashem will try to bring you close. What should you do? You should respond and you'll become close. Just like the end of the book, you have Bechor, which Hashem makes holy, and you have Maiser, the tithing of the herd, which you make holy. So, so far it's very clean and neat. And then the Rebbe wants to connect it, the same theme, to the beginning of the portion of the Chukaisa. But in order to do that, the Rebbe prefaces the following. These two sacrifices, the firstborn and the tithing, in addition to the fact what they mean in terms of our relationship to God, firstborn is from Hashem, holiness, the tithing is our holiness, 
They also can be translated within the neshama itself. The neshama has both sides. The neshama has the essence of the soul, which is like the firstborn. The soul is holy. So nefesh is the divine soul. It, it feels kedusha, and that the address for that would be chachma shabenefesh, the level of chachma, which is a vessel and a vehicle to receive to carry the truth of Hashem in it. Uh, the part of the soul that's just holy. It's not something that you feel and that you make choices. Conversely, the tithing of the herd, this represents the part of Arnishama where we have to make choices to be holy. And that's why it's called tithing. First of all, tithing means that there's 10, which represents the 10 characters of the soul, not Chachmor, which is really a vessel for, for the essence of the soul itself, which is intrinsically holy and doesn't get contaminated. No, we're talking about the 10 levels of the soul. Here it is all kind of details and the person makes choices to do the right thing. And specifically, not even all 10, but we're speaking about the tithing, the last one. And what's the last one of all the 10 characters of the Neshama? Malchus, which means the practical expression of the Neshama which is expressing itself actually in the garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action. So here we have the two sides, two extremes of the neshama's relationship to holiness. On the one hand, we have the firstborn of the neshama, which is the soul, the essence of the soul, which is just holy. It's just the divinity gifted to us just because we're Jewish. It's because of the children of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yankee. And then we have the tithing, namely the final lowest level of the soul, the 10th level, of the soul, thought, speech, and action, where we make our choices every day and every minute of every day. And that's something that hopefully we make holy, but that's our choice. That's like a tithing where we contribute to that service. Now that the Rebbe has personalized these two sides of it within the Neshama itself, the Rebbe connects it to the beginning of the portion of Bechukaisa. What does the beginning of the portion of Bechukaisa? The first line, Hashem says to the Jewish people, Im if or please, follow my statutes, walk in my statutes, and guard my mitzvahs. Hashem is, 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 is asking and beseeching the Jewish people to follow Tehidah mitzvahs. It seems to be a double expression. On the face of it, the statutes, Bechukaisai speaks to the mitzvahs that are super rational. Mitzvahisai speaks to the mitzvahs that are more rational. There's obviously many, many interpretations how that's not a duplication. But in Hasidus, in the context of the soul, the first half of the verse is speaking to the essence. The second half of the verse is speaking to the revealed self where you have choices. The first half of the verse means statutes, which means it comes from the word chukim, mitzvahs that are super rational, but really chukim also is the root of engraved, the part of your soul which is engraved within Hashem. It is literally one with Hashem, and uh, it's just holy. Of course it follows the will of Hashem. It wants nothing else. It really doesn't have much of a choice. And that's why even when it comes down to mitzvahs, it, it embraces mitzvahs that it doesn't understand with the same joy as mitzvahs that it does because it's in connection to Hashem is intrinsic and essential. Whereas the second half of the verse, you will guard my mitzvahs, this refers to the part of the neshama, which, so to speak, struggles with the decisions and it needs to guard the mitzvahs. It has to make sure to do the right thing, lest it fall prey to, 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 to not doing the mitzvah or God forbid doing a sin. And therefore that refers to the lower levels of the soul. So now this beginning of the Chukaisai mirrors perfectly the same theme of the end of the Chukaisai, namely 
these two levels of the soul that we talked about earlier. So, so far we put together those three, the beginning of Ayikra, the end of Ayikra, the beginning of Mechukaisai. And in one word, what is it? The same theme, the message that Hashem shines down holiness to us, and then we respond with our holiness. And we had that in all three places. Now the Rebbe moves on to explain the connection, and here we have the four connections, on the Chassidish parasha, on the Kutateta. When you learn Chassidus, the Chassidish, the Chassidish always takes the soul of the matter and takes it different and takes it deeper and takes it and inverts it, so to speak. So when you come along and look at the Chassidish parasha, wouldn't you know it? It's the exact opposite. Whereas so far we're talking about the relationship that we have with Hashem, that Hashem inspires and we respond. Hashem makes it holy and we do our little bit. On the Hasidic parsha, the theme is going to be, the message is going to be the exact opposite. And the truth is, what's really, what's greater in the relationship is not when Hashem responds and gives, or Hashem initiates, but when we respond, that is actually a greater part of the relationship. I'm calling it just to be simple and concise, not the top-down message, but the bottom-up message, meaning to say that's where it's at, that there's a greater advantage, so to speak, in our response, as poor and as humble as it might be, even over the great holiness that Hashem brings to us as a gift. And that becomes the theme of the Chassidish Parsha in all four. Let's take a look. The beginning of Ayikra and Chassidish Parsha explains. Remember, we learned that, the, that what is the beginning of Ayikra according to Chassidus? Hashem inspires a person. It's called the Sadrusa de Leila, an inspiration from above. Sometimes a person will just feel inspired. They won't know why they're inspired. Just feel it. Hashem gave them a gift. And then the person's reaction should be Sadrusa de Latata. They should respond in kind. And he explains there that if we don't respond quickly, and do our part to internalize the inspiration, it will go away. It's almost like if it starts to rain, but you didn't plow the fields, nothing's going to happen. And therefore, it's true at times Hashem will inspire you. Make sure to immediately respond and do your part in order for this higher inspiration to have staying power, to, uh, to be real. Because otherwise, it will not be internalized within the person. So here already you have the theme that where is the greater advantage, not so much in the inspiration from above, but in the response from below. We have this also in the beginning of That It's not enough, and the Kutatari explains it, it's not enough that what, to rely on the fact that you're in a shamah, the level of your soul that's engraved within Hashem, and that is as one with Hashem, feels Hashem and wants to do the mitzvahs, and wants to do everything Hashem wants, that's not enough. Where is it really at? When you actually physically guard the mitzvahs and do the mitzvahs, not somewhere in the essence of your soul and on high, but right here, down here, where there's a struggle and there are choices, and you actually have to guard it. And that's where it's at, says the Alter Rebbe, in the Kutatayn, the beginning of the What's a greater thing? What's a greater level? What's a greater advantage and accomplishment? That actually guards the that guards the first half of the verse. In plain English, your service of Hashem down here in the body with its struggles and its choices, as simple as it might seem, as lowly, so to speak, as it might seem, is actually greater and is what guarantees and what gives staying power to the essence of the soul to experience its essential bond. The same theme again of the advantage 
of our input versus that which is gifted to us. The theme continues at the end of the Chukai in the Kutatera, where the Alter Rebbe there explains a Mishnah in Pirkei chapter 3, which the Mishnah says, the person should meditate on three things and never sin. And what are the three things? May I embossa from where you come, from where you go, and before whom you'll have to give a reckoning. On a simple level, the Mishnah is saying, that be humble, you came from nothing, you go back to the dirt, etc. But according to Chassidus, the Altareb explains, look at the verbiage. There's much hinted here. May I and Basa, you come from nothing. The word ayin is used. Where are you going? Here we use the word on. We don't use the word ayin. And it's explained in the Kutateta. Ayin is an allusion to spiritual lofty levels. Ayin more than nothing. Ayin means it's beyond. It's, it's, it's transcendent. It's ayin, meaning we define it as... What is it? We don't know. It's beyond. It's a very high level, the level of iron. represents lofty levels. We tell the soul, we want you. So the Hasidic interpretation of this Mishnah would be, what inspires a person not to sin? Not may I embossa from where you come from, from dust, from a future drop, but rather may I embossa from where you come. You come from iron. You come from Hashem. Such a lofty place in, in Ruchnius and in, in, in Elikus, in, in, in Elikus, in godliness, that is called ayin, which is so beyond this world. It's it's to us, it's like ayin. We're like yesh me ayin. It's too, totally transcendent and beyond. And therefore it inspires the yid to, uh, to treasure that neshama and not tarnish it with sin. And then we say, where are you going? Here again on the Hasidic level, it represents the greater reward, which will be when we have after Mashiach, resurrection of the dead, la'on is a reference to the physical world. It's the opposite of ayin, it's on. Because ultimately the great reward is not in heaven, but the great real ultimate reward is in the time of resurrection. And why so? Because since our service of Hashem is done in the physical world, the reward ultimately should be in the same place, the same setting as the mitzvah was done. And therefore ultimately the reward will be to neshama in a body in this physical world as expressed in the word on. And the Altareb explains there, that as lofty as ayin is, as lofty as heaven is, the source of the neshama, and the higher is the higher realms, it's fantastic, it's transcendent, it's, in, in, it's infinite, it's great. Mm-mm. There's a tremendous advantage and an infinite advantage to on, to the place of resurrection in this physical world when the neshama and guf together will experience Hashem. It's much greater than all of that. So again, the same thing. The connection between between uh, the, the advantage of the lower world and the lower inspiration, the lower service right here in the physicality, even over the highest realms of spirituality. And finally, the same theme is expressed in the addendum. And he talks about the holidays at the end of the addendum and what's considered the greatest of the holidays, of course, Yom Kippur. And why is it the greatest of the holidays? Because we're so in touch with Hashem, with Talukus, with, with godliness, that we don't have to eat. In Kippur, it's, we're supposed to fast, not because we won't, we, because we're, we're being sad. It's not a sad day. It's been said that, you know, one of the Prelish uh, would say, on Tishabav, who can eat? On Yom Kippur, who wants to eat? The fast is not about the fact that I'm sad. The fast is about the fact, the fact that a person is so in touch with Hashem on that day, and therefore, who wants to eat? The language is they, they live from hunger. They don't need to eat a person a yid. And that day is at such a level where they feel Hashem and the pleasure comes from the essential bond with Hashem. 
It's a lofty level. It's higher than any other day. It's fantastic. You don't have to eat. You're one with Hashem. What could be greater? Comes along the Alter Rebbe at the end of this addendum and says, you want to know what's greater? The actual peak and pinnacle of all the holidays, which is Shemini Atzeres. When here we eat and we drink and there's a great simcha and, and, and physical joy in the physical body. And yet that's even greater because ultimately this is exactly the same theme, that ultimately the what's greater even than heaven is earth, what's greater even than the inspiration that Hashem gives and that we have essentially uh, from above within our souls as gifted is that which we accomplish right here in the physical earth and the physical world through our service. And that becomes the theme of these four um, points in the Likutatele, in the Hasidisha Pasha. But Rebbe in the Sikh explains, even though the Sikh is based on a Maimer, in the Sikh this deep concept is touched upon uh, somewhat at length. How do we make sense of this second half of the Sikh? The first half of the Sikh, I understand that we get inspiration from above and we react. But clearly the inspiration from above is much greater. But when you talk about the second half of the Sikha, where we're turning it on its head and saying that according to Chassidish, where is it at? It's in the physical and it's in our service and it's in, it's in, right here down, here, down here on earth, etc. How does that make any sense? How could physical be greater than spiritual? So just to touch upon it, Rebbe explains it on a few levels. Um, and I'm not going to do justice to it, but just making a couple of points. Number one is, because without our response to Hashem's inspiration, the inspiration won't last. So that's a practical way. But then the Rebbe digs further. And the Rebbe says that the purpose of Hashem's creation, the purpose of Hashem's whole plan is and therefore ultimately doing the service of Hashem right here on earth, as simple, so to speak, as lowly as it might be, is greater than all the higher realms, the spiritual realms, I mean, these are infinite worlds and unbelievable. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's all about Hashem's purpose. Hashem's essence. What is Kavanah Sa'atzmas? What is his purpose? And that's what he wants. That's the goal. You know, on a very mundane level, somebody could open a business. And the business has many levels of, 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 of workers and, and, and management and upper management and everything else. It's all different levels. It might be analogous to, to the four worlds and the higher worlds and the infinite worlds. And then there is the purpose, the mission of the whole thing, which is the owner and his family, that they should make a living, period. So all these are wonderful levels. You know, I mean, you come from the, from, from the mail room, you know, from the lower level, and you go higher to the, to the higher level of management and, the, the, and the, the boardroom. It's all wonderful and fine. But when it comes to the owner's child, that's the whole purpose of the whole business. The whole purpose, the kavana, the goal, is the which is right here on earth. And therefore, ultimately, nothing can be higher, nothing can even come close to the closest we have to Hashem when we serve Him right here on earth in the physical. Or to use the language that's employed in the Sikha. The difference when you talk about Gilulim revelations or lights from Hashem, or you talk about the essence. When you talk about lights, a light it decreases as it goes further away from the source. So there's a very big difference between lower levels, the way the light of Hashem is felt in this world, and the way it's felt in the spiritual world, and the way it's felt in the divine world. And on that level, the higher you go, the closer you are, the greater you are. So there's, there's this world, there's the world of the angels, and then there's the world of the souls, and then there's the world of Elokos, Atzilus, 
And obviously each one is greater, infinitely greater. But this is all about revelation, the light. And the nature of light is that the further away it goes from the source, the less it becomes. Obvious. But then there's the essence itself. And the essence doesn't go any further away. So just to give a plain example for this, uh, when you took a, take a look at a person, what's the light? The light is the way others perceive it. So let's use an example. I'm looking at a person, but I'm not seeing the person himself. I'm seeing him in a photograph. That's a reflection of him, but obviously it's a very distant reflection. It's a photograph. Maybe I could see him in a mirror. It's a closer reflection. It moves when he does, but clearly it's not him. It's very close, very nice, but it's not him. A higher level might be when I actually look at the person. Wow, that's great. I'm looking at the person, but at the end of the day, it's still not the person. I'm just looking at the person, which means you're seeing his light, his reflection, his extension, his revelation. What about the person himself? Can't capture him in the picture. You can't capture him in a mirror. You can't even capture him by looking at him because you, you're, you're seeing his, his visibility. How do you capture the person? But what if you're the person's son? That's him. And that would be a very plain example to this whole conversation that the neshama, every one of us is told, you should know you come from a very lofty place and you have chach and you have the essence and you have very high levels and it's engraved within Hashem and etc. You come from I and you come from these levels of infinity which represent very high levels. But you want to know where you touch Hashem? When you come down to the physical and do the mitzvah, and that's where the ultimate case amazing and the ultimate reward, the ultimate purpose, right here on earth, in a physical body. Really, this is so lowly and so plain, so mundane. That's where Hashem's purpose is. Or in the, in the language of the metaphor, on the higher levels, the soul is a reflection of Hashem, just like the light of the picture or of the mirror or of, or, or of the glimpse of his face, of the radiance of his face. It's not him. Whereas you take a yid down here in a physical body and you touch him, you're touching Hashem. What is a yid? It's an embodiment of Hashem. Literally, like a child is an embodiment of a parent. We understand it's only by metaphor because ultimately we talk about Hashem's essence. It's, it's infinitely greater and different, but just by metaphor. And therefore, therefore we can understand that being in a physical body and it's so distant, so to speak, it's so dark, it's so not revealed, etc. But we're not talking about revelation. We're not trying to get a better glimpse of his face. We're trying to get him, him himself. And you don't get any closer than the physicality of a yid here on earth doing Tehidah Mitzvahs, and which is manifest and completed at the end of the plan of creation. But ever says this same theme in the story of the, of the stone on the, um, the beginning of the line of Bechu Kaisai. The mitzvahs and the soul, the way it's engraved within a, within a stone, it's a very high level. You have letters that are written ink on parchment. You can separate them. That's a lower level of connection. The letters that are ingrained and engraved within a stone, much higher level. So these two levels would be two levels of revelation. A lower level where your connection is like ink on paper. It's, it's separable, it's separate, it's additional. It's not exactly one. Then you have where it's ingrained within the stone. Wow, the letters are part of it. That might be an example of the soul, the way it's in heaven, may I the soul, the way it does mitzvahs in the level of bichukaisai, the level of engraved and ingrained, the, the higher levels where the soul feels totally attached with the essence. It is one with the essence. But nevertheless, you're still speaking about the soul and God. 
When the soul is ingrained and engraved within God, there's the stone and there's the letters. They're almost one and the same, but they're still not. Because you can speak of letters engraved within the stone. But then there is the stone itself. And how do you access that stone itself? You access it through the year doing the mitzvah physically down here on earth, as mentioned earlier. And the same thing is with the Yom Kippur theme. Fasting in Yom Kippur is a very high level. The soul feels one Hashem, it doesn't need to eat. When a person then needs, gets pleasure from eating and drinking or other external things, so obviously they're distant from source. When they get closer to source, like Yom Kippur, it's a level of the soul, whether we feel it consciously or not, where we don't have to eat, the soul gets pleasure from Hashem. But again, like the stone has the engraved letters, it's still Hashem and it's still you. And you're getting pleasure from an essential bond. It's still a bond. A bond means that there's two things. Comes along a Yid Shemirat Seres. Celebrates the Teda, celebrates Yiddishkeit. Celebrates it with eating and drinking, but all in the context of Yiddishkeit. Now he finds Hashem within the physical, within the food, within everything. Because why do you have to run away from that? If Hashem is, the Yid is literally a part of Hashem on that level. As mentioned earlier, and therefore, it's all part of Hashem's essence. It's not a revelation. It's not a greater revelation, a closer revelation. It is literally, so to speak, an embodiment, an extension of Hashem's truth. Because on the level of Atmos, everything uh, is part of Hashem. And specifically the Yid and his Simcha that he has, even in the level of the physical. It's interesting to note, it's not mentioned in the Sikha, but... Um, Chassidim would often say the Shmini Atzeres, especially Simchas Teda, were especially precious to Hashem, to, to, to the Rebbe. The Rebbe would speak about the fact that each one of the days of Sukkot is we have the seven Shpizim, and the seven Chassidish Shpizim was the previous Rebbe Torah, starting from the Baal Shem until the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe himself uh, referred to the Friedrich Rebbe as the Shpizim as the of Shmini Atzeres, not only Shpizim, but he said that he was the host, the Balabas. Uh, very much in line. Again, I'm now I'm just uh, you know uh, adding this, so to speak, on my own nachrais that uh, Friedrich Rebbe. What was the Friedrich Rebbe's message? Bringing Yiddishkeit to America, etc. That the uh, Tzvidat Sadas. You can you, the, the, you bring the, the the holiness in the physical. And one might say that the Rebbe, of course, said that the Rebbe is a shpizin is simchasteira, which we saw the Rebbe glowed on that day and radiated in a way which was extraordinary. Because as the Rebbe explains in the Chassid, in the Sikhas, Sikhas is even greater than Shemini Atzeres, because it's the peak of all the Amtevim, but there isn't even a Sukkah. There isn't even a Sukkah as a custom. You go back into the home. You go back into, so to speak, normal life. And there, the Kedusha is there because the Kedusha is ultimately essential. I'm just adding that the central theme of the second half of the Sikh, that the physical expression of, of Hashem's essence. And right here on earth, we're touching Hashem just by being Yidin and doing Tere Mitzvahs, which is his ultimate purpose. This is very much in line with the Rebbe's Shnit and the Rebbe's uh, stated goal of uh, his entire Nesias uh, to immediately, speedily bring us to Dira B'Tachtainim right here on earth.